Well, if you have your Bibles, will you join me this morning in the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, 18. Well, this uh, will be our last uh, topical message from the book of Proverbs. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be in the book of Colossians, verse by verse, that wonderful little book. Over this last month, we've looked at some sins, some topics that come out of the book of Proverbs. We started with gluttony. That was a new one. Never preached on that. Adultery. Then greed last week, dipping into Ecclesiastes for some of that. And today we're looking at the sin of, of pride, of pride. And all these are so applicable to our lives and to our world. And we need to hear this uh, continually. And from time to time, I think we'll go back into the Proverbs and hit a few other topics, maybe in between books of the Bible. And we've done that with the Psalms a little bit as well. So if you will stand with me out of reverence for God's word this morning and let us read our passage, looking at Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And all God's people said, Amen. I know. You're like, well, how come we didn't read 20 verses? Well, we got 20 coming, but um, we, this is the kickoff, the kickoff proverb about pride. It's kind of one that a lot of people know. Pride goes before destruction or a haughty spirit before a fall. How many people have quoted that in their life, in the church or outside of the church? They see something happen, well, yeah, pride goes before the fall. And some people say these things, and they don't even know it comes from the Bible. There's a lot of Bible verses people quote, but they don't know it's from the Bible. Of course, there's things that people quote, and they think it's from the Bible, and it's not from the Bible. So, you know, we got things, you know, both directions. <laughs> but this is one of those things I would imagine that many people probably have heard this or kind of understand it a little bit. Have you ever watched somebody get really prideful and puffed up and then crash. We might see them in the news. We might see them in our life at work. You might see it in your own personal life where you've been a little puffed up and then there's a, a falling, a crashing, a breaking of the pride. Hmm. I'd like to try to uh, define pride this morning. A uh, quick dictionary uh, search there said that pride was an inordinate self-esteem or conceit. And sometimes you need a dictionary to understand the dictionary words that you're looking up. So, inordinate. That's a cool word. I like that word. I never use it. It means excessive. It means way too much over the top. It just, phew, way too much. So, it's an excessive, it's an inordinate amount of self-esteem or self-love. Way too much. It's inflated. Way bigger than it should be. Now, understand we are to love ourselves. In fact, if you think that you're worthless and you hate yourself, that's, that's actually sinful. We're supposed to love ourselves because God so loved the world. And we're all in it, guys. Right? He gave his only son. We are exceedingly valuable to God. Oh, praise his name. So we are indeed to love ourselves. We are very valuable to God. But the problem with pride goes, it just inflates it to an insane level where that it's inordinately Loving yourself to such a degree that you actually have no room for God. And no room to love other people because, well, you're just busy loving you, right? And now that's a problem. So it's inflated. It's, it's simply too much. I would say that pride breaks the, the greatest commandments of God in the Scripture, which are to you can sum it up by love God and 
Love other people, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love other people, but how can we really love God, and how can we really love other people if we're so full of us just loving me, right? So pride gets in the way, it hinders, it even can break the greatest commandments of God at those extreme levels there. Now, I think pride, there's gradations, I think it's kind of nuanced. It's not just pride or no pride. I think there's, there's a staircase. I'll talk about the staircase later of, of pride or humility. So we can have greater or lesser amounts. This inordinate amount of self-love pushes down others to raise oneself up. Right? You squish them down so you can get higher. You squish God down. I don't need God. I get higher. Let me read to you from Romans 12. Romans 12, 3. This is a good biblical definition of pride, biblical definition. So Romans 12, 3, it says this. It says, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Okay, so pretty similar. But it's do not think of yourself more highly than you should, right? That, that overinflated love of self, inordinate amount. Hmm. But instead, think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober judgment. How, how great am I really? Right? Looking at yourself soberly. And I think that's an interesting phrase there that said sober judgment. Because if you're sober, you can think straight, right? And you make good choices. But when you're drunk, you don't see reality. You're living in an whole other place, right? So therefore, I think we could also define pride biblically from Romans 12, 3 as a drunken self-delusion of personal grandeur. Mm, there's a definition for you. Pride is a drunken self-delusion of personal grandeur. Now, let me just share you something with you. When I wrote that, I didn't quote that from anybody. I was at my desk, I was praying, I was writing, and I wrote that down. Totally came from God, because I, I, I'm just not that good. I can't do that. Some people have a way with words. I don't. And then the devil whispered, That was really good, Pastor. <laughs> I was tempted to be prideful over my definition of pride in a sermon about pride. Right then and there, I laughed. I rejected it in the name of Jesus. If it's any good, it came from you, God. The Holy Spirit, I believe, gave it to me. And the devil's like, Yeah, you're pretty great. That definition was amazing. A drunken self-delusion, a personal grandeur? Amazing, right? <laughs> I'm just saying that because the devil will tempt you to pride at any and every turn. There's oh, You can be so humble and then you're prideful over your great humility better than other people, right? It's, just, it's everywhere. It's crazy. So we've got to be on guard looking out for those temptations continually. So this belongs to God. But I think it's interesting. That you're not sober. If you look at yourself and you're like, I'm the greatest, Ooh, look at me. You're all inflated. You're drunk. Pride makes you drunk. I'm so great. Look at me. Huh? But if we soberly judge ourselves, we would say, I am a mere mortal human being. And I breathe in and out like everybody else. And I only do so by the sheer grace and mercy of God. Right? I didn't create the oxygen I'm breathing. I didn't create myself and my lungs, right? I didn't do anything. I just showed up screaming and crying one day. And how dare I get all big and inflated over me? I can control how I look, right? 
or certain natural giftings and talents, right? That still is given from God. I can work with them a little bit, but it still all comes from God. So when you look at self-sober judgment, it's a reality check. Hmm, help us, Lord, to be sober. I didn't create the universe. In fact, I'm just a little speck on the planet Earth. Remember, a speck of dust. God took us from the dust of the earth, Adam, and he molded man and breathed life into him, and we're just repetition of that. We're little specks of dust breathed life into by God. He loves us, but we're still a speck. And I need to say, wow, if I'm a Christian, I need to say, I was a lost sinner, and Jesus found me. I didn't even find him. He found me. And he gave me mercy and forgave me and he washed me and he cleansed me. I was bound for hell everlasting. All glory to Jesus, right? All glory to Jesus. How can I have any pride? How can I have any pride? Sober judgment. Uh, John 14, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remain in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nada, nothing, right? But with Christ, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but with Jesus, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength to serve and honor him. But I think it tells us then that humility is dependence upon Jesus. That's what humility is. <laughs> Depending on Jesus, being a, vine, a branch connected to the vine, not letting go. I get all my nutrients, all my strength from Jesus. That's humility, where pride is self-sufficiency. I don't need to be connected to the vine. I can do what I want to do. You ever see that kid? He's about three years old. He's trying to put on a sweater. Huh? He's all tangled up in it. He can't get there. He can't find the right hole for his head. And he's all messed up. And you try to help him. And the little guy sometimes, they won't all do it. Some will say, no, I can do it myself. And you're thinking, clearly you cannot. Right? So I need to help you. You don't know what you're doing. But, it, but that's pride, actually, bursting in a little child. Huh. It's this self-sufficiency. I don't need God's help. I can do it myself. And God says, you're all tangled up in your sweater. You don't know where you're going. <laughs> hmm. But humility, dependence on Jesus. Let me, let me read Psalm 10, 4. You can jot that down or turn there, but I encourage you to take notes. You can look at these things over later and have a marvelous study throughout the week. But Psalm 10, for it says, in his pride, in his pride, the wicked does not seek God, right? Or seek him. He's talking about God. The prideful person is actually wicked. Why? Because they don't seek God. Just simply not seeking the Lord is something sinful. And it's pride that keeps him from seeking God. Because he's saying, I can do it myself. I don't need God's help. And the Bible says that's wicked. And then it goes on and says, In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Mm. The wicked, prideful man says, in his, in his thoughts, he goes, I got no room right here for God. I don't. Because I'm too full of me, right? Pride. And I can do it myself. Mm. No room for God in my life. Because it's just so full of me. It's the definition of pride, deluded, drunken. What, what is and, and, and was Satan's primary sin? Hmm. Well, if it wasn't pride, I probably wouldn't talk about it right now in the message. So yes, it's pride. <laughs> pride. But it's interesting to think about. 
of the great enemy, Satan himself there, his primary sin is probably, let me read to you from, from uh, Ezekiel 28, 17. God is talking to the devil here. And he says, your heart became proud. There it is. Proud. He's in heaven. He gets proud. That's not going to work too well. On account of your beauty. Isn't that interesting? You understand that Satan was a, a, a created angel of God. He loved God for who knows how long. And apparently he was amazing. He was this amazing, marvelous, beautiful, crazy-looking, wonderful angel, right? But then pride was found in him on account of his beauty. Let me tell you, if you fancy yourself beautiful at all, and that, you know, understand that Satan will tempt you with pride. He knows all about that. Well, I'm so good-looking. Yes, there's the pride that the devil will be handing you on a silver platter. So be very careful. And he says, and you corrupted your wisdom. He knew better. He was wise enough to know that he shouldn't be proud and sin, but he didn't care. He corrupted his wisdom and he went and did foolish, sinful things. We often can do that. He says, because of your splendor, right? He corrupted his wisdom because he was so amazing, so beautiful. So I threw you to the earth and made a spectacle of you. Hmm. He fell out of heaven because God chucked him out. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And he chucked him fast. Jesus saw it because Jesus was probably the one chucking him out. It could have been an angel. I don't know exactly how it worked. But it was the power of Christ who did it. And back to our verse that we started with. Pride comes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. He elevated himself. He got all prideful. Uh-uh, not in heaven. You don't. Not in the presence of God. You don't. He wanted to actually be like God, another Bible verse says, or greater than God. And God said, you're out of here. You tossed him out. He fell. How about the, the sin of man? Really, the great sin of man, I have to say, would probably be pride as well. Even from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, our first parents, are in the garden, it's holiness, it's perfection, it's an intimate relationship with God, and the devil is there, and he gives a little temptation. And, and remember, they could eat from any tree in the garden except for, like, that one over there. But yeah, enjoy all the rest. Don't eat from that one, though. It's a little test. Will you obey me? Will you love me? Satan comes along and goes, did God really say? You know, He starts trying to put doubt in her mind about God. She says, well, we'll die if we eat of the tree. Well, surely you're not going to die. Okay? Hmm. And then he said something to her interesting in Genesis chapter 3. He said that um, God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you'll become like God, knowing good from evil. He was implying that God's holding back on you. God's, God's got something, but he doesn't want to give it to you. Hmm. And if you eat, you'll be like God. So she saw, she looked, she ate, she gave her husband all that. But I think part of the motive behind it all was that she was... Wanting to be like God. She was elevating herself up. There was a pride going on in the Garden of Eden. And simple disobedience is also pride. If you know the right you should do and say, hey, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go do this. That's pride. Because I want my own way, not God's way. So I think the great sin of mankind is really pride. It's selfishness in which all other sins, I think, kind of flow out of that place of pride. Adam and Eve had no room in their mind for God at that moment. So what happened? Well, pride goes before the fall, remember? So they were prideful. They lost the garden. They called the fall of man. They, they fell from God's grace and holiness and that intimate relationship, and they lost the garden, and therefore all the world is cast into sin. We're born into sinful natures. We've lost the intimate relationship with God. But in man's darkest hour, God promised Jesus also in Genesis chapter 3. He promised one that would come and crush the head of the devil uh, and set us free from all his lies and his deceptions. 
And in the fullness of time, God sent His only Son, Jesus, to the cross to die for our sin of pride, raised from the dead to give us life. And what is He doing in all that? He's reconciling us back to God. Because we had fallen away and we were separated from God because of sin. And Jesus said, no, come back through me and what I've done for you. And now you can have fellowship and relationship with God once again. Mm, and heaven everlasting, right? Thank you, Lord. Blessed be Jesus. You who once were far away <laughs> have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, Ephesians 2 tells us. Thank you, Lord. That's why we love him. <laughs> That's why we love him. Now I want to go through the book of Proverbs and just kind of glance at uh, quite a few of them and talk about them briefly and look at uh, this uh, Sin of pride. We won't go through them all. There's actually tons. Um, I had to hold myself back. We'd be here a long time. There's just lots of them. That's all right. We can have other sermons on pride. We'll probably need them regularly. I know I do. I do. Oh, so let's go to Proverbs chapter uh, 6, if you will. If you'll turn back there a little bit. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16, Proverbs 6, 16, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. A little bit of poetry there. And uh, then he lists seven things that are actually detestable and God, God hates. But at the tippy top of the list, number one is haughty eyes. Then you got a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. and go, You can go down the list, check that out later. But on the list of things that God hates and that he says are actually detestable to him, number one is pride. Hmm, that's interesting haughty eyes. This arrogance that looks down on another and says, I'm superior, I'm greater, I'm better, I'm more valuable than you, even though that other human being was also made in the image of God. Just like we were made in the image of God. Hmm. Notice the path in which pride is taking here. There, there's, there's a course. It comes through the what? The eyes. Haughty eyes. I think it's fascinating. We well, can have a haughty heart. You can have a haughty mind. But here it talks about a haughty eyes. It's through the eyeball. We look to others and we, we make judgments about them. And we look down on them through the eyeballs. Isn't that interesting? Arrogant eyes. Huh. Looking upon other human beings as if we were more important. It's like one speck of dust turning to another speck of dust and saying, I am more valuable than you. And if you looked in the corner of your house and you saw some dust there, not that you have any dust there, but if you saw some dust, two pieces of dust, and one little piece of dust, get his little chest all big, and he looked at the other piece of dust and said, I am more valuable than you. And we would say, you're both idiots. And we'd sweep them up into this, and we'd throw them out, right? I wonder if God doesn't look at us little specks getting all puffed up and looking at another speck of dust saying, I'm better than you, right? Praise God, he doesn't sweep us out. <laughs> well, he will one day, all the, well, those who want to stay arrogant, but right now it's grace and forgiveness. But God says this, this, this arrogance is detestable, detestable to him. Hmm, that should frighten us, it does me. But yet how easy is it for you and me to drive down the street and see somebody walking on the side of Walnut, because that's my path constantly down Walnut, and I look, or you look at somebody, and we go, eh, you know, and we think that they're not so great in some way. 
Maybe they're kind of looking kind of down and out. Maybe they're looking like they made a lot of bad choices. Or they're strung out on drugs or this or that. And maybe they are. Maybe they have made bad choices. And it's okay to maybe analyze the situation. But what's not okay is to kind of puff our little dusty selves up and look down and say, Hey, I'm driving a nice car. You're walking there with your whatevers. And yet how we can do that so easily. But here's the deal. This is what I try to tell myself and it helps me is, I wasn't born to their parents, right? I didn't live their life. I didn't have the abuse or the craziness or this or that that they went through. And if I had walked in their shoes, if I had lived their life, would I be any different? I think not, right? And I can humble myself and try to love them even as I drive past them. So how dare we look with haughty eyes upon another human being for whom Christ died. That's another thing I try to say when I'm having trouble with a person and kind of just annoyed or agitated or whatever it might be. I can look at them and if I can remember this, I say that is someone for whom my Jesus died on the cross. He didn't just die for me. He didn't just die for the people I like. He died for you, the one I don't like or the one that agitates me or the one that annoys me. And then it gives me a new heart to try to love them like Jesus loves them. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Forgive us for our haughty eyes. Hmm. Let's go over to Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, 11.2, pride comes, then comes disgrace. Kind of similar to the fall. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. Mm. So here's it tells us that pride is disgraceful. And I think we all know that. Does anybody like an arrogant and prideful person? Generally, no, right? And maybe some people do. I don't know. But for the most part, when you're looking for a wife or looking for a husband, you know, I'd really like a guy who's super arrogant and prideful. It'd be great to live with him the rest of my life. How fun! We don't do that because it's disgraceful. We know it's no good. We don't want that. Huh. And I, I get a kick out of it. Even those who are very arrogant and disgraceful hate others who are arrogant. I'm sorry. Those who are arrogant and prideful, which is disgraceful, they hate others who are arrogant and prideful. You ever notice that? The most arrogant people look down on other people who are arrogant. Because it's a disgrace. It's interesting how easily we as human beings can condemn a sin in another person and hate it, and yet we have the same sin or problem in our life, right? Hmm. We're good at that. That's why Jesus said, take the long plank out of your eyeball before you help your brother with a speck in his eye. Oh, you can help him, but you got to get yourself right first. <laughs> hmm. Help us, Lord, with that. But it says, with humility comes wisdom. Mm, I want to be wise. So arrogance, therefore, is stupidity. But humility is wise. Hmm. Because the humble person is not afraid to take advice and listen to the counsel of God, listen to other people, ask for help. In fact, then it makes him even wiser. There's another proverb that says that if you rebuke a, a mocker, he will hate you. But if you rebuke a wise man, he'll love you and be even wiser still. So because the wise person, he can, he can accept advice and correction and he gets even smarter and wiser. And he's like, hey, thanks, because he's humble. 
But the prideful one thinks he knows everything, even though he doesn't. What's the old saying? It always makes me laugh. My grandfather, uh, Roberts, on my mom's side, used to have this little plaque in his kitchen. And it would say this. It says, those of you who think you know everything are very annoying to those of us who do. It's true, right? We hate that. Right? <laughs> so even the prideful, arrogant people are annoyed by people who are prideful and arrogant. Because we see that it's simply a disgrace, even if we can't see it in ourselves. Ever notice how people, they never hate a humble person, though? They're like, oh, he's so humble, he's always giving, and he never looks down on me, and, and he puts me above others and above himself. I hate him for that stuff, right? <laughs> no, we like humble people who put others first. It's really attractive. It's admirable when we see humble people. It's super cool. I really like it when I see somebody who's really super good at something, a sport, a skill, whatever it is. Maybe they're very knowledgeable on a subject or very successful at business or, or, or whatever. Hmm. And yet they're super humble, though. Isn't that cool? They're approachable. They're like a regular person, because they are. But, but they act like a regular person. You can talk to them, and you're like, it makes you like them even more. Some of those superstars on the basketball court or this court or wherever they are, and they're just arrogant jerks. Right? We might like their playing, but we, it's, it's, just, it's disgraceful. But when one of those guys is down to earth and nice, you're rooting for him a little bit more. Especially if I ever see a boxing match, because <laughs> they're literally getting beat up, and I'm always rooting for the guy who's more humble. Because hmm. it's admirable. We, we, we want that. We like that. It's disgraceful, but with humility comes wisdom. Let's go over to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, 10. Proverbs 13, 10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels. Okay, fights. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. A little similar to the last one, taking advice is wise. You ever wonder where fights and arguments come from? Oh, probably from people who are prideful, for the most part. Maybe not always. Because when you bruise another person's pride, they get upset. And then they bruise your pride, and you get upset, and back and forth, right? So fighting quarrels from pride. Pride can certainly destroy a marriage. It can destroy family relationships. It can destroy churches and congregations. We've all seen it. It just destroys businesses. It destroys all kinds of things. Pride gets in the way. But when people are really humble, it's hard to start a war. Right? When they're super humble, forgiving, kind, it's hard to get sparks flying. Sometimes we have to correct people in life. You have to correct a child, show him the right way to go. No, little Johnny, that's not right. This is how you do it. Sometimes you have to correct somebody at work, a worker. Hey, that's not acceptable. We don't do that here, whatever it is. And in church, believe it or not, people have to be corrected sometimes. That's always fun for me or anybody else. Right? But it has to happen sometimes. We have to show them the proper way to go. Sometimes we have to be firm, but we always want to try to be loving. Absolutely, give the truth and love, the Bible says. But how is it that a humble person or a prideful person takes the correction? Hmm. It, tells, it tells you a lot about a person, how they take correction. Because if they're really humble, particularly if you speak it in love, <clears throat> if you don't speak it in love, then it's hard for everybody to take, right? But
person can look at it and go, hey, I'm sorry. I, I did mess up. Please forgive me. I'm gonna, I'll try to do better. And they, and they have a good attitude about it. And hey, they get wiser still, and they, and they, they do better. But the prideful people can't receive correction. Mm, we've worked with people like that. We know people like that. Maybe we've been and are people like that. I don't know. And then what, what is that prideful person? They get angry. They get bitter. They hold that grudge. How dare you say that? And I have had to correct folks in church and in leadership sometimes, different situations. And I've had people not be too happy. How dare you, right? Hmm. So pride breeds corals. Hmm. It's hard to be corrected. This is what I find sometimes. My pride wants to flare right up and get agitated. But then if I pray and think about it, then I get humble and go back and talk to them and work it out. Yeah, maybe it's a little back and forth sometimes. It's not the best. The best is just to be humble the whole time. <laughs> but sometimes we get the pride. Oh, wait, and then we got to go humble. Hmm. But when we can receive, then we grow wise and mature. Proverbs uh, 16.5. Let's go over there. Proverbs 16.5. Making our way through the book. Proverbs 16.5. It says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Because we learned that. He hates, detests uh, pride. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Hmm. So the Lord detests all the proud in heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. So all who have a prideful heart and keep their heart full of pride and don't keep their heart full of Jesus will have a rude awakening on the day of judgment. Some people are so prideful, they're going to go through life and then they're going to stand before God in their pride and God's going to say, <clears throat> here comes the fall, buddy. Right? In fact, no one can even be saved. No one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can be forgiven of their sins if they have a big prideful heart. Because you have to humble yourself to come to faith in Jesus. You have to admit, Lord, I am a broken sinner. And I need Jesus to save me. And I surrender all I am to you. And I'll live your way, not my way. That's humility, right? It's humility. So pride keeps so many from coming to faith in Jesus. I can do it myself with a sweater all around their head their whole life. Hell will be full of people who did not bow the knee to Jesus in this life. Hmm. Pride, pride. Notice the term here, uh, proud of heart. Proud of heart. It tells us something that pride is ultimately a heart condition. It's something deep down inside, inward in the person. Yes, it can be manifested through the haughty eyes. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. So it can come out in words and actions and so forth. But ultimately, it begins in the heart. Hmm. If you're a Christian today and you've been following Jesus and you genuinely want to serve and love him, we still have to watch out for pride, okay? And I think it can come in two different ways. I think it can come because uh, either when we first came to Christ, we never dealt with it. We never really dealt with some pride, maybe some, but not all our pride. It's kind of like hiding out in the back. Or maybe we did give up all our pride to Jesus, but then it sneaks back in through situations and temptations. Hmm. My son Samuel, a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, he was helping mom put some shelving up in the back pantry. And he's cleaning stuff out, and he's in the very back. We never go to the back 
You should look in the back of your pantries. Because he found something growing back there. Who knew? He found a tentacle of crabgrass. Hmm. That, you know crabgrass? The stuff that sends out the little tentacle guy and it goes up in every crack in the sidewalk and you're just like, what? But let it, at least it's green though. I'll just keep mowing it. Right? That's where I'm at. But still, so the crabgrass apparently had come up through some sort of crack in the foundation and they said it was in the back of the closet <laughs> and it came through the flooring and there it was. Who knew? Just lurking. I thought plants needed light. It's really weird. But anyway, there it was in the back. Sneaking around in our home. And then Samuel pulled it out. Took it to the cross and got rid of it. Well, that's our pride, right? That's what we got to do with our pride. I wonder if it doesn't sneak in in the back closet of our heart and our life. And either we know it's there and we're like, well, I'll just close those doors and deal with it another time. Or maybe we're not even totally aware that that little crabgrassy tentacle of pride has is, is been lingering because we, we gave a little here, we let a little bit of the temptation in, and we begin to puff ourselves up, maybe. I don't know. So I guess we have to ask God to search our hearts. Hmm. We have to look at ourselves soberly, not, not drunk. Right? I love Psalm 139, the very last few verses. Maybe you know it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Right? Yeah, he knows it anyway, but we're opening up our heart and saying, Lord, look inside and just show me what's going on. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Right? See if there's any wicked way in that thing and then show me and lead me in the way everlasting of humility and righteousness. So we want to look at our hearts today because pride cannot live underneath the searching eye of God if we let God continually search our lives. Mm, help us, Lord. I have found this in my life personally, that my pride gets in the way of loving other people. A couple years back, God pointed this out to me and he never really made the connection between loving others and my own pride. But there's a big connection. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, you know the love chapter, right? And one of the things it says about love, it says that love is not proud. Hmm. Love is not proud. And it can't be because if I have pride in my life, I can't really love other people or God very well because I'm just loving me. And I'm at the forefront of everything. And that's a problem. So I found that when I am able to humble myself in a greater capacity, I now have more ability to love other people, like sincerely from the heart, not that kind of like I pretend I care thing, right? Because we can do that. Can we pretend like we care? <laughs> kind of sort of care, surface care, but maybe not truly deeply from the heart. So here's a little theory you got in my head. I'm not sure I worked it out perfectly, but picture a big staircase, right? Big, long staircase. Goes up to who knows where. It goes down, down. We don't know where it ends. And you come to faith in Jesus, and somewhere along in the middle, there's a line. You come to faith in Jesus, and, and the Lord drops you down. You've, you've confessed your sins. You've humbled yourself. He drops you down in the middle of the staircase on the line where it says humility. You've now entered in, right? But now we have choices in, in the life of, of a Christian. Do I step up towards pride, or do I step down towards humility? Well, we're supposed to go down. Go down into the depths of humility, right? That's what we need to do. But I find that I... Take a few steps down, and then I take a step up. 
I take a couple steps down, I, well, I'll scoot up one, you know, you know. I seem to be dancing around on the steps sometimes in my life. But when I've been able to go to greater depths of humility and stand on those steps, I have found something marvelous that I've actually never quite known so deeply. That when I can be on those greater places of humility, I sense a love for other human beings whom Christ died for more than I've ever known. And I can love them from the heart because there's way less of me getting in the way. I've also found a peace, like a literal peace that is in my mind, in my heart, and actually on my body. I relax my shoulders, and I just feel like I'm just resting in the everlasting arms. Because I think pride makes me tense because I can do it myself. But when I let it all go, I let Jesus do it. And I can just hang out and I can relax in the presence of God. I mean, even something as simple as being in line at a grocery store. Or something, I, I don't like to go to the store. I know if Jennifer's willing to go, please go, baby, go. I don't want to go. And I hate to stand in lines at the store. I'm standing in line at the store. Why do I hate this? Why am I all annoyed? Because I'll take a line I got stand here all day. That's because it's pride. That's pride annoying me in line. Because apparently all the world's about me. These people shouldn't be here. <laughs> uh, but when I step down into humility, I just relax and be like, hey, okay, the Lord's will is I stand in line for 15 minutes. Thank you, Jesus. I talk to God. Pray for that guy in line. He looks like he needs Jesus. You know, I'm a little more productive. I can focus and just rest in Christ, not being agitated. I tell you, brothers and sisters, my friends, pride is a lot of work. It's hard to keep pride all the time. You know, wear yourself out. But when you rest in those lower regions, those steps of humility, there's a peace there that is so beautiful. So beautiful. Hmm. Help us, Lord, to reach those steps and then learn to stay there. Here's a little test you can give yourself. When you talk to someone at work, at church, wherever, your family members, think to yourself as you're in the middle of the conversation, do you think, do I really care? Hmm. Do I really care about this conversation and this person standing or sitting or whatever before me? Do I really care about them? Or am I just kind of caring? Am I just sort of caring? Am I just smiling because I know I'm supposed to be a good person? Or am I really listening and caring to them about them in that moment, right? From the heart. Or am I really just in this conversation, the whole reason I'm here is because um, I'm just waiting to talk about me. And if you'd stop talking, I could talk about me more. Or about the things that I want to talk about more, right? Hmm. I came from a family, we call it competition talking. Oh, I can out-talk a lot of people if I want to. I have learned to slow it down, relax, be humble. But because of that, I think I've built into myself the, the ability to want to talk and I'm there in a conversation because I really want to talk about me and the things I want to talk about and not to care about another. That's how I was kind of raised. We all did that in the family, a bunch of us. That's kind of weird. Hmm. Help us, Lord, to care. To care. Jesus loved people perfectly, right? Even in the dying moments of the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He genuinely wanted even those nasty old Pharisees who put him on the cross to come to repentance and faith and mercy of God. He's our example. 
totally humble. There was not a prideful moment or thought ever in the, in the Savior because he's perfect and sinless. And though you and I are not the sinless Son of God, we have the sinless Son of God living in us to empower us and to strengthen us and to correct us and change us and guide us in the paths of humility, which are the paths of Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We want to be like Samuel and pull that little tentacle of pride out and then go and nail it to the cross, right? There's a song we're going to sing. It's an old song, The Wonderful Cross, and it has a, a, a line in it. I want you to pay attention when we get there. And he says, as he surveyed the cross and all that Jesus did, he poured contempt on all his pride, right? He poured contempt, hatred on his pride because he knew God hated it and he knew it's why Jesus died and he didn't want it in his life. One last proverb before we close. I'm going to think back up a little. Proverbs 15, 25. Proverbs 15. 25. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. The Lord is the defender of the widow and the fatherless, and he wants us to be as well. But the main part I want to look at is the Lord tears down the proud man's house. Hmm. You and I can build for ourselves a little house of pride. A house of pride. It probably only exists right here. Right? A little house of pride right between the eyes. Maybe our ho- proud house is built out of our possessions and the things that we own. Oh, I'm driving my nice car down the street. Look at that guy in his jalopy. So therefore, I'm better than he is because i got a nicer car. We can build little proud houses out of our abilities and our talents. Really good at something? Well, remember, it came from God, right? But we can build a proud house out of that. Of our intelligence, some people are just brilliant. That'd be cool, but some people make that a proud house. Success. Some people are very successful. A proud house. Good looks. The devil built a proud house out of that, so be careful. Even our religious activities can be a proud house. I know it's everywhere, right? Even in the middle of a sermon when you, God gives you something good. Remember the Pharisees? They were really good at building big, proud houses out of their religious activities, and Jesus just let them have it. Because they were proud of their giving, of their praying, and of their fasting, remember? Hmm. I fast three times a week and give a tenth of all I get, compared to that wretched guy over there praying in the corner. Really, the tax collector. <laughs> so these guys were prideful. They did the right things for the wrong reasons. Isn't that interesting? So even in the church, we can do good, godly things. We should be giving. We should be tithing. We should be fasting. We should be praying, absolutely. But if we do them for the wrong motives or boast and brag about it or think of ourselves as more religious than another guy, right? We, there's pride lurking, a little proud house. So here's the question. Have you ever had God tear down your proud house? Huh. Probably once or twice. He takes his little finger and he goes, bink. This is not very strong. Bink. And he knocks, there it goes crumbling down. Cracks in the walls there. Our little proud house. And we go, why God? Don't you love me and stuff? Oh, that's why I did that. Because I love you. I love you so much that if I left your proud house up, it would just ruin you. So I just knock it down. But then we're stupid sometimes and we just rebuild. And he goes, all right, bing, and then we rebuild, right? When, some people never seem to learn. They go over and over and over again. 
But God loves us so much that he is not going to let it ruin us, so he keeps knocking the proud house down. Now, some people of the world, he may or may not knock their proud house down, but he will on the day of judgment. But he might in this life too, I don't know. But for the Christian, I think he doesn't let it go too long, maybe for a while, but eventually says, ah, enough. Pride goes before destruction. Hmm. Here's the deal too, if you're a Christian and you've been building a proud house lately, and the Lord hasn't yet torn it down, here's some words of advice. Take your little old hands and grab the sides of your proud house and tear it down now, quickly, before God gets out his little pinky and knocks it down. Because it's going to hurt a whole lot more if God knocks it down than if you just humble yourself and tear down your little silly house. Hmm. So God will humble us. He will teach us if we're willing to learn. Jesus said in Luke 14, 11, that he who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't that interesting? The world doesn't work that way. So if you exalt yourself, God will bring you low, one way or another. But if you go low and stay humble, one day God will lift you up. How cool will that be? Especially on the day of judgment, he's going to pass out rewards to the people uh, that are his, and some will receive more, some will receive less. But the guys and the gals with the big old mansions or whatever is going on in heaven, they're going to be the most humble people that walk the face of the earth. Oh, he will exalt them, and we will cheer and clap, I'm sure. There'll be great fanfare, I would imagine. I don't know. So that's the key. Go low, stay low, let God exalt you. Well, what has God said to you today? Did the Holy Spirit of God reveal any house of pride in your life? Any tentacle maybe in the back closet that you've been ignoring or you need to deal with? Needs to be pulled out. Is there pride keeping you from really loving Jesus and serving him? Is pride harming your ability to, to genuinely love others from the heart? Do you struggle with looking down on other people with the haughty eyes? Are there quarrels? Are there fights in the selfishness and in the pride? Are you able to take correction and counsel from God, from the Word, from church, from a friend, the boss, anybody? So as we come to prayer, what has God said to you? So Father, here we are. We thank you, Lord, that your word addresses this great sin of the devil and of mankind. Thank you for speaking to us this morning and your constant reminder in our lives to stay humble. God, help us, Lord. Help us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you and your grace would forgive our pride. Help us to look upon our pride with hatred and poor contempt on all that is worthless, all that is pride in our lives, Lord.
Help us to hate it like you hate it. Lord, help us to look at ourselves continually with sober judgment. Help us, Lord, to see that we are so unworthy, but we are sinners saved by the grace of Jesus, washed and cleansed, and we didn't do anything but say yes to you. It's all your mercy. It's all your grace. Help us to understand we're specks of dust. (laughs) Give us a good perspective on those that are around us that we might see them as people you died for, people you love. Lord, forgive our self-dependency. And help us to live very dependent lives upon Jesus. Forgive our disobedience, which is pride. We choose today, we choose today to tear down the house of pride and humble ourselves before the Master. And in your time, lift us up. We give ourselves to you. In Christ we pray. Amen.